morning, church. It's good to be here this morning. I have a special treat for you today. I am Joel Peed. And I am going to take these off when I'm mad at you. And I'm going to put them back on when I have to read. No, just kidding. I won't do that. But it is good to learn from our teachers. And so I figured I would, I would start learning how to do that because it's clearly very powerful. It's, it's, yeah, there's no preacher who can truly preach unless they got these right here. I don't even wear glasses. Uh, those don't work. They don't do anything. Um, you know, it's, it's so good to be here. And I'm, I'm really uh, thankful for Megan. I don't know where she is, but what she shared is so powerful. It's so similar to myself. How religious I can be, how, you know, doing all these external things. But where's my heart really at? And that's a powerful question for us. Um, but today we're continuing a series on knowing God. We've been going through the Old Testament. And there's something about knowing God that is so vital. And hopefully we'll, we'll see it towards the end of the sermon today. But without it, we can't truly call ourselves followers of Jesus. You know, one of the defining things about Jesus was that he knew God. And because he knew God, he bore much fruit. And so I want to talk about bearing fruit today. And hopefully my sermon will both encourage and warn you about what that means. Amen. It's a challenging subject. If you turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 5. So I don't want to give you the context just yet because when this was first presented by the prophet Isaiah, I don't think he gave them any context. And so I'm not going to give you any context prior to reading this. Um, and then I'll give you some context afterwards. Okay, we're going to start in verse 1. I, the text is too small. I need my glasses. <laughs> and so it says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it, and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Okay, so Isaiah sang a song. Not many of our preachers, right, launch into singing songs in the middle of their sermons. But this is what Isaiah did. And he said, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. Now, I, don't, I can't sing it. <laughs> I don't know the melody. But I don't know about you. I've never had a vineyard. But I know one thing. If I had one, I'm looking for grapes. And here we have this one I love. And Isaiah doesn't even say who it is. He just says, this is the one I love. And he had a vineyard. And he, he prepared the ground. He you know, cleared the stones. He built a watchtower so he could watch over it. And when he looked for grapes, there was none. And so look what, what he says now. So imagine how you might feel if you had a vineyard and there's no grapes. Like, what a complete waste of my time. How worthless is this vineyard? Let me go find a new vineyard. That's probably what you'd be thinking. Or, I'm never going to grow grapes again. And I actually, I did a little Google search. Turns out grapes are really easy to grow. Like, you've got to do work up front, but then they just, they just grow. And it's not actually particularly difficult uh, once you have them planted. And so here's where Isaiah really brings it home. He says, Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, 
judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. You know, Jesus had a habit when he would teach people to trap them a little bit, right? He would lure them in, and they'd be thinking about what he said, and he said, and I'm talking about you. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, man, and here I was agreeing with you. <laughs> right? Like, we, we start to, we read the righteous judgments of Jesus, and we go, amen, oh, that's me. Please stop preaching. <laughs> and that's what Isaiah has done here. He said, here's the vineyard. And the Lord has done so much good for the vineyard, and yet there's no grapes. And imagine they're like, yeah, what a ridiculous vineyard. Oh, oh, that's me. And their face would fall. You know, I've been there so many times in my life where I'm like, man, I'm not producing fruit, and I don't feel good about that. And what we do is we get discouraged. But that's not God's intent. His intent is, listen, you have everything you need to bear fruit. So I want to talk about that. I want to break this passage down and just talk about the different elements that I pulled out of it that I think are so vital to us bearing fruit, but also just to this mentality of what it means to bear fruit. You know, when, when God says, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? It's a powerful question. But I love that phrase, my vineyard. You know how many times in my life I walk into some situation or even a church and I feel like it's mine. Like it belongs to me. Like I have the right to do this, that, or the other. And the reality is, God says it's my vineyard, not yours. You know, when I first began studying the Bible, and even today, sometimes I read things like what Jesus said in Matthew. I remember this hit me like a ton of bricks. He said, whoever says to his brother, you fool, is liable to hellfire. And I felt like, man, I call my brothers fools all the time. This isn't good. And yet, I also felt like that standard seems a little too high for me. Maybe we should lower it a little bit. Jesus, I'm not feeling it. It's not your vineyard. right? It wasn't my vineyard. And God was like, I will not lower it. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so I try, I strive to treat my brothers with respect. And that means you as well, as my brother and sister. Right? But God was not going to lower his expectation because I was struggling to meet it. Or I didn't like it. You know, how many things in our life do we put the word my on? Right? It's my car. I do this all the time to my wife. My car, my bed, my whatever, because I don't want to share it. It's mine. And then when she has ideas, no, it's mine. And that word, my, is so possessive. And the reality is that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's actually not my car. It's 
it's not my bed. It's God's car, and, he, and it's God's bed, and he's given it to us to use. It's not my money. It's God's money. It's not my time. It's God's time. And ultimately what he's saying is it's not your church. It's my church. It's not your people. It's my people. Now that's a good thing because if this was my church, we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> Amen. Thank God we are in his church. So we've got to get rid of this language of mine. And I use it too much, so I'm not just talking to you. But we've got to be careful that we put everything in submission to God. It's his vineyard. He decides the standards. He decides the standards of holiness and righteousness. And we merely strive for it. But I want to I talk about what God has done to build up his, his uh, church. But actually, let's go to Deuteronomy real quick. I almost forgot this. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. It says this. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven, so you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Listen, when God says do this, he's not laying a burden too heavy for us to bear. He's laying a burden that we can carry. And not by our own strength, only by his strength. But we can do it. This passage is actually sort of quoted in the book of Romans when Paul says the righteousness that comes from God, and I'm paraphrasing, maybe you can look into it and tell me if I'm wrong. I'm paraphrasing, he basically says the righteousness that comes from God is from Christ. And it's not up there or down there, it's here with you. So act like it. Okay? Um, but God has given us everything we need. You know, God has, has he's, he's, uh, he's, he's picked a fertile, I gotta get back to Isaiah, I'm lost right now. Isaiah chapter 5, God has cleared out a fertile hillside. Now, I don't know if you ever go somewhere where they grow grapes, but it's always on a hillside, and I don't know why. Maybe it has something to do with drainage or sunlight. But it's always on a nice hillside, and it looks so pretty. And you're like, wow, I wish I had a vineyard. <laughs> but then if I did, it probably wouldn't produce grapes. <laughs> I wish I had a vineyard. But you look at this hillside, and you go, well, that's beautiful. That's what hillsides are for, <laughs> vineyards. And when, you, you know, when my parents, okay, now he dug it up and he cleared it of stones, right? Whenever you're going to plant something, you've got to get rid of rocks. There's a lot of rocks. I don't know where they come from. They're just in the ground and they appear magically. And it's really annoying. But you have to clear them out. And God says, I did this. You know, when, when my parents, when we moved from Champlain Park to Delano, Minnesota, we, the, the land was like a desert because of all the construction and it was just dirt. And my parents were like, yeah, if you guys pick up rocks, we'll give you money. And I was like, amen, let's go pick up rocks, bro. And so my brothers and I, we go out there and pick up rocks. And I don't know, maybe my mom remembers better. It was like a dime a rock or something like that. What's that? A nickel. Okay, as a little kid, that's a fortune. So we're picking up lots of rocks. But I remember at one point going, yeah, I'm getting paid, but there's no end to these rocks. And I quit. <laughs> and I don't know if I ever got paid either. Yeah, that's right. I feel a little bit of a debt here right now. 
but actually, I'm the one who owes you, so. Mercy, mercy. She probably gave me a lot more than a few nickels in my day. <laughs> but, right, here I am just picking up rocks and feeling like they're endless. You know, the problems in the church sometimes are endless. In our own lives, they're endless. And God is always there clearing up the rocks. But God says, I cleared it of stones, and I planted it with the choicest vines. God has not gone out and find some trashy vines that would never produce fruit anyways. He says, no, I've got the best people. I've picked you. That doesn't mean we're better than anyone else, but God has chosen us, and therefore we can bear fruit. And so sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can feel like, what's wrong with me that I can't do this thing or that thing? What's wrong with me? Is it because of the design? Sometimes you start to blame the designer, like maybe he picked the wrong vine. Right? In my role as a campus minister, man, maybe it's not for me. Maybe God picked the wrong vine. But then God says, no, I, I decide that, and you just trust me. Amen. Amen. And so God has done that. He built a watchtower in it. God took the stones that he dug up from the field, and he built a tower. And I just think it's a beautiful image, right? You've got a wall, you've got these plants, and then this tower just starts to rise up. And God is in the tower, and he's watching his vineyard. And he's making sure that no one breaks in, that no one comes in and steals the grapes. Because that wouldn't be the vine's fault. That's his responsibility. And, of course, God has put his watchman in the tower. And if we don't sound the alarm, we're also liable. And the Lord built a wine press. You know, a lot of times we get caught up in our good deeds. What can I do for God? And we forget that everything good that we do isn't really all that valuable. All the fruits that we bear are not that great. But God can turn it into wine. Now, I'm not a big wine drinker, but I know wine is a lot more valuable than just a grape. And it costs a lot more. And the Lord is saying, I can take your fruit and I can make it way more than you could ever imagine heard stories of people handing out pencils and it changed people's lives forever because they felt someone loves me and that was not the pencil and that was not the person that was God taking a tiny little grape and turning it into this overflowing cup amen and he says this I cut out a wine press as well then he looked for a crop of good grapes imagine the Lord now he's in his watchtower and he's just waiting he he, he, every day he says, where are the grapes? Maybe this is the day. And he waits patiently. And there's never any fruit. Now, if that was my vineyard, I'd feel incredibly cheated because of all the work that I've done and the love that I've shown. God even says that the men of Israel and Judah are the garden of his delight. It's not just that God has done his duty. He's shown immense love to the vineyard. And there's no grapes. And it says it yielded only bad fruit. Now, the funny thing about this is that the Hebrew, I'm not an expert in Hebrew, but I looked in a, in a lexicon. It actually literally says it yielded only stink berries. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's a lot worse than bad grapes. I'm like, ew, that's horrible. I mean, like the whole place must have just stunk. I don't even know what a stink berry is. It's not good. And the Lord is not pleased with stink berries. And so he says, I'm going to tear down the wall. 
You know the protection I built around you? I'm getting rid of it. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The Lord says, all those good things that I've been doing, I'm going to cease doing. And this vineyard is going to be abandoned. Imagine how you'd feel if the Lord said that to you. I've been looking for fruit, and there's none. And so I'm undoing the wall. I'm no longer going to protect you from the consequences of your actions. God has given us everything we need. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. This isn't just a teaching of Isaiah. This is all over both the Old and the New Testament, and it's a beautiful thing. It says in verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them, you may escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. His divine power has given us everything we need how many times am I going to hit my knees and say, God, I need more. You haven't done what I needed or you haven't done what I asked. God has given us everything we need. He's given us his word. Right? We already read, God said, my word is near you. It's in your heart. It's on your lips. You can do it. He's given us his spirit, the trainer to teach us and show us the way. To even teach us what to say. When we don't know what to say, the trainer, the spirit is there with us. If we have the spirit of God, as, as Megan mentioned, and if we don't, then he's not. And that might explain some of your struggles to bear fruit. There's no trainer in your heart. There's no spirit in your life. God has given us the family to hold us accountable. To call us out when we are unrepentant. What a blessing. If I didn't have a family, I wouldn't be here. How many times people have come to me and said, Grayson, you need to repent. And I said, no, I don't. And then they said, okay, let me go get this other guy, and he's going to tell you too. And they're like, you need to repent. And no, I don't. I said, all right, we're going to tell everyone that you need to repent. Okay, I repent. I'm sorry. And God progressively says, no, here's more messages from my people. You need to repent. And I resist, but God has... He gives more grace, and I was able to repent. And this has happened so many times in my life. We need his people. It's one of the things he's provided. God has provided us with consequences. I don't know about you, but when my mom raised me, there was consequences for my actions. And I didn't like that, <laughs> but it turned out to be so good for me. My dad, it was consequent, right? And especially my dad. My mom would say, don't you wait till your dad gets home. And i go, I won't wait. I'll do what you say. <laughs> not worth it. <laughs> Consequences are good, and God 
Sometimes he protects us from consequences, and sometimes he brings them on us because we need them. God has given us boundaries, right? He's built the wall. And he said, this is my family, and if you go outside this boundary, you're not in it. You're not a part of it. And that's a good thing because if there's no boundary, there's no vineyard. There's just a bunch of wild bushes in the wilderness, right? And there's no protection. So God has given us everything we need for godliness. And it's through his, look at this, what it says. He called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God has given us everything we need and he's called us to escape from the corruption of the world. The world is corrupt. It does not bear good fruit. Only stink berries. And the, and the Lord is saying, I will allow my people to participate in my nature because I always bear good fruit. Jesus says something similar in John 15. Jesus says this. It's amazing how connected the Bible is because Jesus read it, so when he spoke, it came out. But he says this in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Remember when Isaiah said, God picked the choicest of vines. That's not really us. It's Christ. He's the choicest of vines. But we have the opportunity to be in him and to share in his righteousness and to bear the fruit in keeping with repentance. We have an opportunity. I often read this passage as a threat. Every, fruit, every vine that does not bear fruit will be cut off. And that is true. It's a warning, but it's also an encouragement. But if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit and even more fruit as the gardener who is my father prunes you. And pruning doesn't always feel good, but man, bearing lots of fruit feels a lot better than being cut off completely. Okay, in Hebrews chapter 6. So Jesus encourages us that it's actually really simple to bear fruit. Just remain in him, whatever that means and whatever it takes. But as I said, the Bible is also full of warnings about this. And if you've never read the book of Hebrews, take the time to read it sometime. It's not very long. But the entire book is a book of warning and encouragement. Warning from not bearing fruit and encouragement to bear fruit and how to do it. And it says this in verse 7. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed, in the end it will be burned. John the Baptist said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The axe is at the root of the tree. Now, I don't know of any tree. I've, I've actually cut down a lot of trees because my dad loves to cut down trees. I've never seen a tree scurry away from the axe. But when the tree was useful, my dad would keep it around. Well, I like that tree. I don't like that tree. It's dead. Let's get rid of it. And that's literally what we did all the time. It was ridiculous. Sometimes I felt like, okay, you just enjoy this. <laughs> like, 
But God, he doesn't enjoy cutting down trees that bear no fruit. He wants us to bear fruit. But we don't. And so he says, this is what will happen to you. You'll be consumed by fire. You know, our world, it treats that like it's some foreign idea, like it's unjust, like God should not do that. But I've never heard of a landowner who felt bad about cutting down a dead tree. And God is the owner of the vineyard and not us. Now, we wish that the tree bore fruit, but it doesn't. And we've done everything we can. It's not as if God saw the tree wasn't bearing fruit and said, okay, that's too bad. I guess you're done. He's patient. He says, okay, I've done all these things. Will you respond? There's a parable of the barren fig tree where the man comes to the tree and there's no fruit. And the gardener says, well, let me put some fertilizer and you wait one more year. And he says, okay, I'll wait. But if there's no fruit next year, we're cutting it down. That's how God is. So patient with us. So loving, so kind but we must bear good fruit. And he says this, and I want to close out with reading this. He says, even though, in verse 9, Hebrews chapter 6, we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case. Things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. God has called us to make every effort. And that's all we need to do. Make every effort to remain in Christ and we will bear much fruit. But today, if you aren't bearing fruit, and if you know that, if you know that, repent. Because God has called, where's my fruit? This is my vineyard. And if you are bearing fruit, continue to bear more and accept the pruning that God brings, even when it feels painful. And teach others to do the same. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Lord, Lord, I, I am so grateful, immensely grateful for your pruning of me over the years and your patience when I was bearing no fruit. Lord, I pray that each of us would bear much fruit, that we would be blessed by you because of the fruit that we bear, because of your love for us ultimately, and because of the righteousness of Christ, which we can attain through faith. Lord, I thank you that you are just so good to us and that you do everything we need for life and godliness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.